Father, uh, we come into your presence this morning, Lord, uh, as Josh said, from all places. Uh, we, we come joyful, we come excited, we come tired, we come fearful. Um, Lord, we, we are little children coming to you in uh, all different ways, sad, mad, happy, um, confused. And so, Lord, thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that you draw us up into your arms and you love us. Uh, and you speak tenderly to us. And so I pray that you would do that now through your word. Lord, your word is powerful, and you promise that your word never returns void. And so, Lord, we ask that you would keep your promise, and we thank you for keeping your promise, uh, that you are making us new. You're making us like you. So, Lord, uh, come in your, your deep, deep power and deep, deep love and change us. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so when I was thinking about this passage this week. It reminded me of a a memory I have of when I was at a church in Knoxville, there was a, uh, there's a place called Greenville, Tennessee. Anybody familiar with Greenville? One, okay. Um, it's a great place, guys. Uh, they, they had this little Presbyterian church out there, and they were in between pastors, and so they needed pulpit supply. And the church where I was serving on staff, we had a lot of pastors. And so they emailed our staff and said, hey, if you guys uh, could help us with pulpit supply, we would really, really appreciate it, um, you know, for this, like, month or two-month period. So I got to go out there uh, one Sunday, and this was still pretty new for me, like, in terms of preaching, and um, so I get out there, and it's this little country church, and there's probably 50 people in the pews, um, and it's really sweet, and uh, if you guys are familiar with country church, there's uh, something called special music. Has anybody ever heard of special music? Yeah, some people are like, oh, yeah. Uh, so the special music that day was a trumpet solo, and I forgot what the song was, but it was a, a 10-year-old boy, and he just marched up front with his trumpet, and he was like, you know, kind of tucking his shirt in as he was, he was walking up, and, and he just takes a big deep breath, and then he starts playing, and he gets nervous, and so, you know, some of the, some of the notes are kind of going like your paper airplanes did, just kind of all over the place. And, uh, and then at one point, he, he, he gets going, and he's doing pretty good, and then he just kind of laps into the trumpet and, and kind of puts his trumpet down, and he's just laughing, and he just goes, wow, it is hard to play the trumpet when you burp. <laughs> <laughs> and I just loved it um, because I've come from places where worship was supposed to be excellent, and that meant that was a loaded word. That meant a lot of things, uh, and I, that day, was um, very, I approached worship in a very different mindset than that boy did. Um, he was free. He was free and clear. I was just a, a train wreck. I was so anxious because this sermon was about me. It was about my performance, and what are these people going to think, and am I going to do something really important, and that was just a really powerful juxtaposition for me that the Lord used and continues to speak to me about that stuff, but um, we are, we're in this series that we've been in for a while now called Be Curious, and it's approaching Jesus through the lens of uh, people's first encounters with him in the gospel accounts, um, and just understanding that because we find ourselves in 2022 in Nashville, Tennessee, um, most of us in this room have amassed a lot of opinions and thoughts and information from all various places about who is Jesus, what does he care about, what does he like, um, how does he talk to us, what does he talk to us about, all these things. And so the hope is that as we 
get into these gospel accounts and we see Jesus interacting with these people, um, the reason it's called Be Curious is because um, that's a very healthy posture to approach Jesus in because he usually surprises everybody with what comes out of his mouth and uh, what he seems to focus on. So in this passage, I mean, it's a little tongue-in-cheek. We're, we're approaching Jesus through the eyes of these children a little bit, um, experiencing their first encounter with Jesus. But, but really more so, this is about Jesus using uh, this encounter with these children to really speak to his disciples and to speak to us. And so uh, we're just going to jump into the passage here. It's a very short passage, but verse 13 um, all these people are bringing these little children to Jesus. We know through other gospel accounts and the wording that was used for children, these are like little children. Um, and so these little children, parents are bringing these little children to Jesus. Um, it was common in this culture to uh, have elders in the synagogue place their hand on the, the heads of children and bless them to impart some kind of spiritual blessing to them. And so that was, that was not like a new thing that was happening. But these people, you know, Jesus was now being... He had a following, and he was being known as this rabbi who was a, a healer and a great teacher. And so these people find Jesus, and, and they're coming up to him, and they're ushering these little kids, trying to get them up to Jesus to ask him to bless them and to, to put his hand on them and bless them. And so um, as this is happening, uh, Jesus' disciples, it says they rebuked the people. They, they rebuked the parents. They were, in, they were indignant, and they said, stop this. And so we have to ask why. Why did the disciples want to stop this? Um, something we need to know is that the way that we think about children now is different than the way they thought about children back then. Um, now we, we probably think about children too much, um, and, and we want to make sure that everything that they experience is nothing but rainbows and unicorns. Um, that's not healthy either. Uh, but in this, in this culture, uh, children were just the least important. I mean, they were just the least important. They couldn't add value. They couldn't do anything. And so, obviously, they were, they were loved by their families and the people that were taking care of them. And obviously, it was, a, it was an important responsibility to care for the children. But um, they were not coddled in the same way um, and prioritized the same way that they are now for us. And so, um, these children were just not important. And the disciples were concerned with limits. Um, we don't have time for this. We don't have the energy for this. You know, Jesus, the implication is Jesus has more important things to do than this. This is getting in the way of Jesus doing the really important things that he came to do. So there was this, anytime we talk about limits, we're talking about um, scarcity. Anytime we're talking about scarcity, we're talking about fear. And anytime we're talking about fear, unless it's like a grizzly bear chasing you through the woods, um, we're talking about pride. Because what we're really saying with our fear is... Um, if, if my limits are encroached upon, then I can't experience my full potential. And if I experience my full potential, I'm like Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. So if I'm like getting approached by all these kids, if Jesus is getting approached by all these kids, then we're not going to experience um, our full potential because we're going to be awesome. And so really what the disciples were saying was Jesus is too important for these kids because we're too important for these kids. Because I'm following Jesus to get big. Because of what he can do for me. And so in the gospel accounts, we have to pay attention to the way that um, 
these, uh, these accounts are structured and these gospel narratives are written because in, in all of the gospel accounts where this story appears, and it appears in at least three of them, um, this story is sandwiched between uh, all these three different stories of people who are wanting to be bigger than they actually are. Um, in Mark's account here, the story right before this is the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they saw Jesus as competition, so they came to him with this very complex theoretical question about divorce because they wanted to trap him. They wanted to control and manipulate so that they could, they could uh, be on top of Jesus. Um, we also hear about, in other gospel accounts, right, right around this is when the disciples are arguing with each other about who's the greatest. And then uh, in Mark's account, uh, we've already visited this, this man, but uh, the rich young man account follows and flows right out of this encounter with these kids. And so if you guys remember, um, when we, we talked about Jesus' encounter with the rich young man, why is it hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Somebody, somebody give me that. Yeah, why is it impossible? It's too big. Yeah. And what Jesus is saying in, in this account and all these accounts surrounding this account is you need to watch out for being too big because it's really dangerous. It's really dangerous to be too big. Um, and just a, a little experiment here, a thought experiment is, you know, a lot of us would say we are concerned with losing our income. That can show up as like we're watching our bank account we're concerned about money, we're concerned about investments, we're concerned about our careers because of our earning potential and what, what happens with our jobs. So thinking about jobs and money, um, there's this fear that we have of running out, running out, but running out of money particularly. But if we really stop and we dig in, I don't think anybody in this room is really afraid of losing money so that we can't eat food. Maybe so, I don't know, but I'm, I'm just, playing the odds here. I don't think anyone's actually afraid of starving to death. But I think what we're afraid of is um, we're afraid of losing our status. We're afraid of losing our options. We're afraid of losing our ability to control our power. That's what we're afraid of. And it's, it's just rooted in this pride. Um, fear and pride are like two sides of the same coin. They, they feed off each other. It's the same thing. And this fear and this pride comes from this orphan mentality. So like the disciples and all of us, um, we are trying desperately to not be little. We don't want to be little. We don't want to be children. We don't want to be dependent. But here's the sad truth. We are. We are children. And we can't escape it. So what happens, we can't make ourselves not children, but what we do is we actually go from being children of a father to orphans. And so as orphans, we feel like we have to have this control. We have to have this power because nobody's caring about us. Nobody's caring about our potential or our safety or our health or our welfare. And so we've got to do that for ourselves. And so the disciples think that they're big timers, but really they're just now just little children without a father. And that's um, how we find ourselves in our sin apart from God. And so um, going back to our story here in verse 14, when Jesus sees what's happening, he sees the disciples sharply rebuking uh, these parents and telling them to go. Um, he becomes indignant. He becomes angry. And he, he runs and stops it and says, let these children come to me. Don't hinder them. Don't make it harder for children 
to come to me. Why? Because he loved these people and their kids, yes, but also because he loved his disciples. And he was like, do you not see that you are little children? And if you keep these little children from coming to me, you are keeping yourself from coming to me. This is the only way that you can have life is if you can embrace the fact that you are a little child. But that's not what we do in our pride and our fear and our sin is we don't embrace it. We run from it. It's terrifying to be a little child. It's terrifying to confess that we are little children. And so we try to, we do what little kids do is we play dress up and we put on uh, superhero costumes and try to look big and intimidating. And we try to put on our careers and we try to put on our physical wellness, you know, working out and getting fit. And we try to put on our degrees. We try to put on all these things that make us look bigger than we are. And Jesus is saying, you're actually too big for the kingdom. You're not even going to be able to enter it. And so it's because he loves them. um, They are keeping themselves out of the kingdom by living this way. And so, you know, it's a good place to stop and just say, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? Um, we, we hear that phrase a lot, and it's easy to just read over it and, and miss it. But um, one way to think about the kingdom of God is it's the full expression of God's goodness and love perfectly experienced and participated in. It is the way that things should be in the presence of God, with God, working alongside of him, being who we were created to be, all the fullness of who we are and who he is together united. That is the kingdom of God. It's perfect. It's full. It's flourishing. It's wholeness. And it's Jesus. You know, Jesus proclaimed uh, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is in your midst. He is the, he is the doorway into the kingdom, but he is also the kingdom himself because when we experience fullness, we are experiencing fullness in Christ, in the full presence of God. And so essentially what Jesus is saying here is, um, you're little children and you better start acting like it. And so what is this childlikeness that Jesus is talking about? Give me, um, y'all throw some out at me. What, what does it mean to be childlike? Give me some descriptors of children. Curious. Playful, unashamed, needy, it's good, trusting, shameless, content, wow, authentic, yeah, Exactly. All of this. This is what Jesus is talking about. And a word that just kind of landed on me this week uh, is the descriptor that I couldn't get away from was the word simple. And, and I looked it up, and the definition for simple is not, not complicated, not complex. And I started thinking about that. Like, you know, complexity comes with lies. Like when I, when I find myself saying, well, it's just, it's really, it's really complicated. That usually means I'm lying to myself about some things. Or I'm believing lies that other people are telling me. But I just thought, you know, simplicity follows 
humility and truth. But it also, another part of this definition of simple is without much decoration or ornamentation. It's like, yeah, there it is. It's like, it's the taking off of all of these grown-up clothes and superhero costumes that I'm trying to put on to seem bigger. It's just being me. And when we are simple, when we are ourselves, when we are unadorned and not complicated, um, this actually unlocks new abilities in us that are not possible apart from this. It unlocks the ability to be wowed, to be awed, to experience wonder, to experience gratitude, to experience joy. These things are not possible when I am not simple. And this, it, you know, thinking about being a child casts a new light on what it means, like, sin and belief. Um, Mark 1.15, Jesus shares the gospel like this. Repent and believe the gospel. <laughs> Repent, turn from your, your ways apart from God, and come back to him and believe the good news that he loves you and that he's made a way for you to come back. And so it's like, what, do you, what are those things that he's calling us to turn from? It's pretending to be adults. It's being orphans. It's in my independence and in my fear and my pride. And, and what does it mean to believe? It means you have to humble yourself. You have to receive. You have to submit. You have to be like a little child. And here's the beautiful thing. As Jesus shares all of this, uh, we see in verse 16 that we actually don't have to be afraid like we think we do of being little children. Why? Because look how Jesus receives little children. He took these little children in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus is able to take us into his arms and bless us and love us in part because he is the ultimate little child. Think about, think about this from uh, Philippians 2, 8 and 9. It says this about Jesus. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. Like a simple little child, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to his father to the point of death, even death on a cross. He wasn't arguing with his father. He wasn't scheming a way to get out of this. He wasn't manipulating or controlling. He was simple, he was humble, he was obedient to the point of death. And then it says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Because he knew something as, as the ultimate little child that I often forget is that his father will not leave him. Even, even as he faces the deepest, darkest things that you and I will never have to face because of what he's done for us, um, we never have to fear our father leaving us. The Father is with him the whole time and has exalted him and has taken him <laughs> into the highest glory. And that is where he sits in his presence forever. And that is where we sit in Christ with him. Um, so that is, this is what was accomplished on the cross. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16 say this. This is God talking to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Even new mothers of infants may forget their children. They're like, that's impossible. Exactly. And he's like, even if that happens, I will not forget you. 
My love is stronger than that. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That is the Father's love for us. That is Jesus' love for us. And so how do we come to him as a little child? How do we come to him to receive the kingdom? We just do. (laughs) We just, you don't figure it out. It's not something that we have to figure out and put together. You just run to him. You run to him, or like these little children in the story, you let people carry you to him. And you just get to him. Or like our, our son Hutch is one and a half right now, and he does the tummy run where he's like really excited and just leads with his tummy. It's like you just, you just tummy run to him. It doesn't matter. And he's going to scoop you up, and he's going to take care of you. And so what that really looks like is us coming to him as a little child saying, here's what I am mad about. Here's what I'm sad about. Here's what I'm scared of. Here's what I'm confused about. And will you, will you help me be a little child? I can't do that myself. Because of sin... That's not, a, that's not an ability I have anymore. I need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to make me a child again. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. And it is absolutely necessary if we want to experience life. And so we just run to him and say, please do this for us. And then here is, here is the beautiful thing about when that happens. What is happening now is Jesus says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he goes on to say in the next couple chapters, what's going to happen is after the cross where I have accomplished everything that's necessary for you to become a child again, I will, I will put my spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit will live in you until I come again and he will lead you and he will guide you and he will protect you and he will comfort you and he will teach you. Basically, I will meet every single need that you have. And so that is what's possible now is we can begin to live like little children now because we have this power inside of us. We are learning how to burp into trumpets and enjoy it because that is freedom. And in a way that he calls us into freedom and helps us learn to live in this new way is through each other. It's through the way that we engage with each other, that we encourage each other, that the spirit in you encourages me and the spirit in me encourages you and reminds us that we are little children and, and we are deeply loved by our Father, and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be arrogant. We don't have to pretend like we're adults because we're not. And when you try to pretend to be an adult, you just end up being an orphan. And that's why we need, that's why we need Kid Town. <laughs> that's why we need to be with those kids is because we need to remember what it's like. They need to learn from us who Jesus is and what the good news is, and we need to learn from them how to receive it. And just a little, little footnote here. Um, my vision is that our parents of little children wouldn't be serving very much in Kid Town because guess what? They don't need more reminders of how to be a little child. They need less. <laughs> they remind it every single day. They get that gift every single day. And the way that they need to be reminded to be a little child is to come in here and worship and not have to take care of people and have duties. And the people who don't have children of all ages... Um, this is a great place to go be around children because we need it. And so we talked about what Jesus has done, what he's doing now in us, and here's what's to come. This is where we're going to end. Revelation seven seventeen. For the lamb, this Jesus, this lamb who was slain in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus saying, hey, hey, come here. It's okay. Like when a little child falls down and 
and is crying and comes to the parent, the parent's like, shh, it's okay, you're going to be fine. Everything's okay now. Um, that's what's coming for us. As, as we have a, a father and an older brother who deeply, deeply love us, and as, and as they are encouraging us in their love, we are becoming new. We are being made new. We are being made little children to experience life, to experience the kingdom of heaven now. And then we will experience it in its fullness when Jesus returns. Father, um, Lord, we just we give ourselves to you and we run to you and we say, please help us when we forget. Lord, please remind us that we are little children and that it's, uh, it's not a, a burden to be a little child. It's actually a great blessing because that's what uh, clues us in that we need a father and you are our father and we run to you. Um, through, through our older brother Jesus and we are loved like the little children that we are. So Lord, I pray that you would um, just continue to speak to us as we continue to worship in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I'm gonna ask Andrew Pika to come and just share a little bit about how the Lord has uh, met him as a little child. And that was word. That was awesome, Matt. Thanks. Um, yeah, the prompt here a little bit is how has Jesus met me at a young age? Um, and the simplest answer to that is through his people, uh, through the church. Uh, being brought up in a Christian home, I don't really recall a time outside of the church. And looking back, I don't recall a specific powerful moment of conversion. Uh, there was a time when I used to actually mourn that. Uh, not having a testimony that like drew people to tears <laughs> through a, a story of radical life change. But now I look back and I kind of see it as a sweet grace in my life. Uh, interesting enough, God shifted my perspective on this in watching babies be baptized up here at Midtown. Uh, growing up in a non-denominational church, it was a very new thing to see babies being baptized. But when I started reading about it, why we do this, I discovered its beauty as we're inaugurating children into the covenantal family of Christ. And baby baptism gave language to what I experienced as a child. Um, through this, uh, this welcoming into the body of Christ occurred not only under loving Christ-following parents, but also through my church community as a whole. The church we attended, they were really small, and so everyone knew everyone. And they were family. These were the people that I would go to Sunday school, and they were teaching me about who God was and discipling me into greater love of him. Um, I don't really see any other reason why when I moved to the other side of the country for college and for the first time had zero obligation to go to church and could kind of do whatever I wanted, I decided to find a Christian community uh, out there. It felt like home, it felt familiar, it felt like family. And I honestly cannot say I would be here at Midtown if it wasn't for that church family I had growing up, um, which is a really powerful thing to kind of think about. Uh, so when I see our people discipling our kiddos in, in Kidtown or watch them participating in worship up here or like on Easter last week, uh, or when we're celebrating like a baby being baptized, it's so sweet to be participating on the other side of what I experienced as a child um, by meeting these kids with the love of Jesus and nurturing them into the family of Christ. So. 
Father, um, thank you for Andrew and, and for this testimony, Lord. And uh, I pray, uh, even as he said in his testimony, just a deep encouragement to those of us uh, who don't have some, some major life transformation story to uh, not believe the lies of the enemy anymore that that's bad, uh, but just to, <laughs> to be so, so thankful that our life was surrounded with your love from such an early age and the gift of that. So, Lord... Um, Pray that for us. I pray that for our children, Lord, that, um, that the children who call Midtown West home would uh, be able to stand and testify to your love um, as Andrew just did. In Jesus' name, amen.